0: Hi, folks. Welcome again to another episode of Pro Football in the 1970s. I'm your host, Joe Zagorski.
1: Now, thanks to the Sports History Network, a signed copy of my new book, The 2003 Yard Odyssey, The Juice, The Electric Company, and an Epic Run for a Record, will be given away to one lucky fan. It's all about the 1973 Buffalo Bills. Please check out the Sports History Network online for details on how you can win a free copy of my new book on the 1973 Buffalo Bill. Thanks a lot for listening in to
0: today's episode, folks. Look forward to chatting with you again soon in the future. Take care. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com.
1: Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of the Historically Speaking Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Dana Augusta. Glad to have you along as we take a look at some of the highlights of sports history as we take them one week at a time. In this week's show, we will concentrate on the days, uh, or the week thereof, of March the 21st through March the 27th, which includes UCLA's continued basketball dominance in the NCAA tournament, as well as a team from Seattle winning the Stanley Cup, and also the beginning of a tradition unlike any other. But first, this week's main event. Hello, once again, sports fans, I'm back, and this is this week's main event. Now, as you know, as if you follow sports on a regular basis, you realize that this week is the beginning of the baseball season. we're rapidly approaching opening day here in the United States and on the baseball season, which will last 162 games all the way through October. And last year, we had something of a... Something of an abbreviated season because of the COVID and uh, everything that was going on along with that. But we're going to take a look at one historical date in sports history dealing with baseball to kind of open up the give you a little bit of a flavor of baseball coming up pretty soon. And that one particular date is September 1st, 1971. This is one of the most significant dates in Major League Baseball history that no one really talks about. And that one particular date takes place at Three Rivers Stadium between the Pittsburgh Pirates and the Philadelphia Phillies, two teams that was in the National League East at the time, and both were, of course, in-state rivals. But this particular date was very significant in the history of Major League Baseball. On that particular night, only 11,278 fans attended at brand new Three Rivers Stadium, which had just opened earlier that season. 20, which was actually 24 years earlier than Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier, the Pirates at that time was one of the most diverse racially teams in Major League Baseball, and they were coming off of a coming off of a division title earlier that year and played in the National League Championship Series, which he eventually lost to the Cincinnati Reds. But they were right back at it again with a record of 82 and 56 that year. Well, actually, that day coming into their game against the Philadelphia Phillies. This is a Wednesday night, a Wednesday night game at Three Rivers Stadium. The normal starters, Richie Hebner at third base and Gene Alley at shortstop, were both out with injuries, so they were replaced by Dave Cash and Jackie Hernandez in the lineup. With those two additions in the lineup, the Pittsburgh Pirates that night became the first team in baseball history ever have to ever have their entire starting lineup made up of African-Americans and Latinos. Every position, all nine players on the team on the field that night were either African-American or Latino. That had never happened in the history of Major League Baseball, showing truly showing how diverse that team really and truly was. With the replacements in the lineup, manager Danny Murtaugh sent up this lineup to the umpire, and this is how it looked. Leading off at second base was Rennie Stennett. At center field, batting second was Gene Clines. Batting third at right field was Hall of Famer Roberto Clemente. At left field was a fellow Hall of Famer, Willie Starger, who was instrumental in leading the Pirates to the 1979 pennant and World Championship. Batting fifth was all-star catcher Manny Sanguin. Third base, Dave Cash. Batting seventh with first baseman and fellow all-star, Al Oliver. Batting eighth, This is the aforementioned, at shortstop, Jackie Hernandez. And pitcher, Doc Ellis, who earlier that season pitched a perfect game against the San Diego Padres in San Diego. So with that lineup, the Pirates became the the first team in Major League history to have an all-black and Hispanic lineup. So... As the game went along, not too many people really noticed until the game was well underway. And one story that came out of that was during the game, probably around the third or fourth inning, when Al Oliver was sitting next to Dave Cash on the bench, and he said, I don't know if you noticed this or not, but we got all brothers out there. And come to find out, no one had really noticed it until the game really was really underway. And people started to notice, and there was a big write-up about it in the Pittsburgh Courier the very next day. So as it turned out, the game was ended up being something of a seesaw battle, especially in the early innings. The Pirates trailed 2 to nothing after the first inning when Doc Ellis gave up two runs in the, in the top of the first. But the Pirates were rallied with five runs in the bottom of the first to give them a 5 to 2 lead. Philly would answer with four more runs in the top of the second, but Pittsburgh would answer once again with three in the bottom of in the bottom half of that inning to make the score 8 to 6 after the first two innings. Yet the pitchers would settle in and the bats would kind of quiet down as the Pirates would hold on to a 10 to 7 win. The Pirates would would move on and capture another division title their second consecutive National League East title and in the process would face the San Francisco Giants in the 1971 National League Championship Series, which they, would win, which they would win in four games. After that, they would move on to the World Series, where they would face the Baltimore Orioles, in which they would knock them off in seven great games, as Roberto Clemente would be named the series' most valuable player. To say that this was a springboard for that championship run that the Pirates would have capturing their fourth World Series championship in Their team's history, that's not too hard to say, but I would say this, that that was one of the most important moments, not only in Pirate history, but also in the history of baseball and the history of sports in this country. This week's main event, this was simply a historically decisive moment in the history of the sport, but at the same time, almost overlooked, but no less significant. And now, this week's top five. Hello, welcome back to the Historically Speaking Sports Podcast. I'm Dana Augusta, and just a reminder to everyone out there, if you like what you hear here at the uh, Historically Speaking Sports Podcast, don't forget to uh, click that subscribe button. and You can get the fresh episodes anytime they drop, as well as you could also shoot me an email at historically.speaking.sports at gmail.com and also you can hit me up on twitter at historically sp2 where i have fresh nuggets of sports information and sports history every day for your reading and viewing pleasure you can check me out also at twitter at historically sp2 or you can shoot me an email if you like what you, you want to make a comment or however which whatever you want to do You could uh, shoot me an email at historically.speaking.sports at gmail.com. And now on with the show and on with the program. And here is this week's top five. You are welcome back to the Historically Speaking Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Dana Augusta, once again. And right now, we're going to take a look at the top five events and headlines from the week of March the 21st through March the 27th throughout all of sports history. And starting off at number five this week is the 1917 Stanley Cup Finals between the Seattle Metropolitans of the Pacific Coast Hockey Association. They, take, they took on the Montreal Canadiens, of course, of the National Hockey League. And even the Canadiens were a power back then, but they were no match for the Seattle Metropolitans as they became the first U.S.-based team to hoist Lloyd Stanley's Cup in the Stanley Cup final. They had knocked off the Canadiens three games to one by capturing a 9-1 to win in the final game to win the Stanley Cup for the first time ever, giving Seattle a Stanley Cup championship as well as the United States, a team a team based here in the United States, a Stanley Cup win. The Number four of the top five this week is Louisville Cardinals winning their first ever national championship, beating the UCLA Bruins 59 to 54 at Market Square Arena in Indianapolis, led by former UCLA assistant coach Denny Crum. The Cardinals were paced on the court by Daryl Griffith, Dr. Duncanstein himself, as he finished with a game-high 28 points to lead the Cardinals to their first ever national championship. In number three, 1934 was the first annual Augusta National Invitational Golf Tournament. Horton Smith sinks a 20-foot putt on the 17th hole to capture that tournament's first ever championship. As he knocked off Craig Wood in the seven by one stroke. And soon after that, the tournament would change its name from the Augusta National Invitational Golf Tournament to quite simply the Masters, where it became, of course, a tradition unlike any other, as you would hear over and over again at this time of year. So, number three was 1934, the uh, very first Masters, or what it was called back then, the Augusta National Invitational Golf Tournament. And number two would be would take place in 1973, as Bill Walton would lead the UCLA Bruins to their seventh consecutive national title, beating Memphis State in St. Louis by a final of 87-66. to The big redhead from Helix High School in San Diego, California, would finish with a game high 44 points, as he was nearly perfect from the field and from the free throw stripe, as leading their, the, Bru- the Bruins to their seventh consecutive national championship, their ninth in, in their ninth and ten years under head coach John Wooden. And the number one thing that happened this week, the number one event that happened this week in sports history took place in 1956 where another great center by the name of Bill Russell would lead the San Francisco Dons to their second consecutive national title, beating the University of Iowa 83-71. Bill Russell, of course, was the linchpin of that great Dons team along with uh, Casey Jones, and they would team up later on in the NBA with the Boston Celtics. But on this night, it was Bill Russell's just dominant force leading the Dons to their second consecutive national championship under head coach Phil Wolpert. And that is this week's top five. And now to wrap up the show would be this week's shout out and is a very, very special one that is very significant in the sport of basketball and the NBA as well as television history. So stay tuned for that coming up right after this. All right ladies and gentlemen, and we're going to close this week's edition of the Historically Speaking Sports podcast with of course a shout out. And this shout out is a very very special one to say the least. And this shout out goes to Magic Johnson and Larry Bird, who this week in 1979, these two future titans of basketball would first face off against one another in the 1979 NCAA Championship game. And of course with these two players Coming together, it had to be a championship contest, and it sure was on this particular night, 1979, as Magic's Michigan State Spartans came in to the Huntsman Coliseum on the campus of the University of Utah to take on Indiana State and undefeated, who was undefeated, led by Larry Bird. Magic. And his, as a sophomore, led the Spartans to a 25-6 and record heading into that championship game as they defeated Penn in the national semifinal two nights earlier. Meanwhile, Indiana State, behind Larry Bird, came into the championship game with an unblemished 33-0 and record as they edged DePaul 76-74 to advance to the championship game on Monday night. Michigan State was, of course, coached by the legendary Judd Heathcote, while Indiana State would be coached by first-year head coach Bill Hodges. Now, this game had so much hype and so much anticipation. NBC broadcast the game, of course, with the, tree, the broadcasting trio back then of Dick Enberg, Al McGuire, and Billy Packer. The game would go on to become the highest-rated College basketball game ever shown on television. It had the highest television rating of any college basketball game before or since. And of course, Magic and Bird would definitely be the center of it. As the game turned out, it was pretty much mostly Michigan State as Magic led all scores with 24 points as the Spartans claimed their very first national championship, knocking off the Sycamores 75-64 to 64, as both would head off into the NBA. Bird would finish with, with 19 points but was very significant as his team kept pace throughout most of the game, but throughout the second half, Magic, T, Magic Spartans would, would kind of like, add to their lead as the game would progress. But when the sea, when the game ended, it was widely anticipated that the rivalry would continue in the NBA, and boy, did it ever. Not only did it change the course of college basketball with that one particular game, but it also changed the course of NBA history as it would go to... That rivalry would go on to rejuvenate and redefine the NBA throughout the entire decade of the 80s, and as well as we feeling their influence, even to this very day in the early part of the 21st century. So we, so we have to credit that rivalry beginning right here in the 1979 NCAA title game between Indiana State and Michigan State. A shout out to Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, Indiana State, and Michigan State. And that is this week's shout-out. And also, that is this week's show here on the Historically Speaking Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Dana Augusta. Glad to have you along. And once again, if you like what you hear, don't be shy. Hit that subscribe button. And if you have any comments about the show, please hit me up at historically.speaking.sports. Doc, uh, at gmail.com or you could hit me up on twitter at historically sp2 so without further ado i'd like to appreciate everyone for thank i'm thanking everyone for listening and i'll see and i hear you and talk to you next week with another edition of the historically speaking sports podcast so long everybody
0: History fan, this is Arnie Chapman, aka the football history dude, and I hope that you enjoyed this recent episode presented by the Sports History Network and were able to learn some good old fashioned sports history knowledge nuggets. I started the Sports History Network back in 2020 with the mission to help podcasters find a community of like minded sports history nerds as well as helping aspiring podcasters to start their own shows. We have a little bit over 30 shows on the network right now covering all sorts of sports history. But as far as I'm concerned, we're just at the toothpick in the ocean moment. You know that. Can't even figure it out because there's so much more coming. We wanted to create the ultimate headquarters for sports gesture year. Starting with Podcast Network and our website, but we're going to continue to move into other mediums as well. And here's the cool part, because we want you to be part of our team. So if you're interested in starting your own podcast... Or maybe being a guest on one of our shows, or who knows, maybe even writing an article for us over on the website. Seriously, all you gotta do is reach out to us on the contact page over at sportshistorynetwork.com. You can be as technologically savvy as a Neanderthal tapping on a stone, trying to figure out this whole hieroglyphics thing back in the day. Again, it doesn't matter, because even if you don't understand the whole podcast space, we have a production team that can pretty much help you out with doing everything. All you gotta do, head over to sports history head to the contact page fill it out that message goes right to me and i'll reach out to you as soon as i can but for now dude i'm through if
1: you're through